Thank you, Nina. Good morning, everyone. Do uh, keep that passage open in front of you as we look at it together. Uh, Let's pray uh, as we begin. Father, we do pray that as we uh, look at these uh, final hours of Jesus before he died, you will help us to to see him more clearly and to see more clearly, to appreciate more what he has done for us. Father, please, will you speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, about, it's about halfway through the book that the main characters, the children, meet the character of Aslan, the lion, the king, who they are hoping is going to come and save Narnia from the, the evil witch. But that night, two of the girls, they wake up, uh, they, they hear something, they're disturbed, they wake up, and they see the lion, Aslan, leaving the camp. And so they decide to follow him. And to their horror, they find him going to the camp of the enemy witch and her army. And there he is bound, and he's put on a stone table, and he's killed. And then the witch and her army, they all disappear off to go and fight a battle. And the girls are left there with this dead lion, distraught. What they don't realize is that there's some deep magic of Narnia going on. And Aslan is actually going to come back to life. This is all part of the plan, and he's going to go and win that battle. Now, there are lots of parallels between uh, the line which in the wardrobe and the story uh, of Jesus, Aslan is kind of a Christ figure. But, but it is also a story in its own right. It's not meant to be an exact allegory. And so there are lots of differences as well. And one of the differences is that Aslan never told anyone what he was doing when he snuck out of the camp that night. The girls had no preparation at all. What a difference it might have made to them uh, as they were sat by his body if they'd have known that this was actually part of the plan, that he was going to come back to life, that he was going to win the battle afterwards. But Aslan never told them that. But Jesus, as he came to his last night, as he came to face death, he was very concerned, very keen to prepare his disciples, to prepare his followers for what was about to happen, to make sure they understood what was going on, um, that they were prepared for it. And that's what he does uh, on this, uh, this passage that we, we've read, the, the last night uh, before he died, the night he was arrested. And as we look at that, we can learn ourselves what this death means, what it is actually about, why it was that Jesus died. The story is told in four scenes. We see um, the preparations for the Passover in verses 17 to 19. Uh, Then we have Jesus predicting that someone's going to betray him, verse 20 to 25, that Judas is going to betray him. Then we have the Last Supper itself, verse 26 to uh, 29. And then we have his prediction that the disciples will fall away in verses 30 to 35. So that's four scenes. Um, But actually the teaching is kind of woven throughout these scenes. And as Paul said at the start, all good talks have three points. So we're going to consider this in three themes. And the first one is this, that Jesus' death was planned. One of the things Jesus is getting across here is that his death was planned. Death is normally the result of a tragedy or an accident. It's normally unexpected. Sometimes it can be expected, but, but still very tragic. It still happens very suddenly, like the death of the Queen last year. It wasn't a huge surprise, but it was a surprise. Sometimes it's completely unexpected, like the, the many deaths in Turkey and Syria that have happened very, very much out of the blue. Jesus wants to make it clear to his disciples that his death has been planned. It's not something sudden, accidental. It's not something uh, unexpected. 
He's already told them that it's going to happen during the Passover, back in verse 2. And verses 17 to 19 show his careful preparations for the Passover. He has actually planned this meal in advance. The disciples are told to go to a certain man. We're not told who he is. It's not really relevant. But they're told to go to him and say, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And that that expression, my time is at hand, is a little bit vague. It probably wouldn't have meant that much to to the, the man they were talking to. But with hindsight, we can see what Jesus meant. His time not simply to celebrate the Passover, but his time to die. This was all part of the plan. Um, But this Passover meal is not just uh, a meal. It's the time when Jesus is going to die. We might think of Jesus as as an inspiring leader who was cut down in his prime. He was only 33 years old. But actually, that's not the case. Jesus' death was planned. But planned by who? Who? Sometimes deaths can be planned um, as a result of the triumph of evil. Evil people want the deaths of others and they manage to succeed. Every murder, every genocide is the result of evil triumphing, evil plans coming to fruition. And the disciples are going to have the shock of seeing evil at work this night. They're going to see Jesus betrayed to his enemies. And Jesus wants to make it clear to the disciples, therefore, that he knew about this all along. This is not the triumph of evil. So verse 21, he makes it clear. He says to them, as as they were eating, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. He knows in advance that one of his disciples is going to betray them. He says it again in verse 23. He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Well, All of the disciples had dipped their hands in the dish with him. They'd all shared this meal with him. It's another way of saying the same thing, but it kind of emphasizes just how shocking this is. That the person that betrays him is someone who has eaten with him. It's one of that close, intimate group of his followers who he's been sharing his life with for the past three years. One of his close friends who is going to betray him. And the disciples are all very upset to hear this, they say, surely, uh, sorry, they say, is it I, Lord? Which is probably meant as a rhetorical question. Surely not, not me. You don't, you don't mean me. But Jesus um, makes it clear that the Son of Man, verse 24, goes as it is written of him. This is something that is planned. This is something that is going to happen. But not only does he know that one of his disciples will betray him, he knows which one is going to betray him. He knows that it's Judas. You can imagine the scene as the disciples one by one say, uh, is, is it, is, you don't mean me, surely not I, one after the other. And then they come to Judas. Well, what's he going to say? If he says nothing, then he'll kind of give himself away. And so Judas says, is it I, Rabbi? And Jesus makes it clear. He knows uh, that it is him. You have said so. It's hard to imagine the shock that the disciples must have felt at seeing someone they had trusted so much, someone who was one of them, giving up Jesus to be killed. But the disciples have been forewarned. Jesus knew about it all along. Jesus' death is is not the result of the triumph of evil. The actions of Judas, the actions of all Jesus' enemies are actually part of the plan, part of the divine plan. Of course, there's another shock for the disciples that Jesus mentioned, which is when he tells them that they will all fall away. They themselves will fall away. They won't betray him like Judas does, but they will abandon him. 
And verse 31 shows us they are, they are not expecting this. Or verse 31 onwards shows them they're not expecting this. Peter says, though, they will fall away because of you. I will never fall away. And Jesus says, tonight you will deny me three times. But Peter is insistent. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. They're not expecting. They're not prepared for what is going to happen. Maybe they think they're ready to fight for the death, to the death for Jesus, to, to die a heroic death for him, which, to be fair to Peter, he kind of tried to do, as we'll see um, uh, when we come to that passage. But what they're not prepared for is the fact that Jesus voluntarily goes to his death. And when that happens, they run away. It must have been a terrible shock for them. But as they reflected on that, as they saw Judas betray Jesus, then they realized that they had run away. And they reflected on it. They could have looked back and remembered Jesus had told them this was going to happen. It wasn't a shock to him. He knew about it all in advance. Of course, some deaths are deliberate and planned and voluntary. Some people do choose, because of their mental anguish, to take their own life. But Jesus' death is not in that category either. Because Jesus' death has not been planned just by him a short while in advance, but actually planned long in advance, planned hundreds of years, in fact, before he was even born. Um, There are many references throughout Matthew's Gospel to Jesus fulfilling the scriptures fulfilling the Old Testament part of the Bible. And those are especially true of his death. In verse 24, he says, the son of man must go as it is written of him. And it's not clear which passage he had in mind, but it may have been something like Isaiah 53, where Isaiah looks forward to the coming of God's servant, but then says, um, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Long in advance, as I had foreseen the death of this coming servant. And Jesus again um, mentions the Old Testament. Uh, Later in the passage, in verse uh, 31, he says, It's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be shattered. He's quoting from Zechariah, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Jesus' death has been planned, not just by him very recently, but has been planned hundreds of years in advance. It's really important that we see that, that we understand that Jesus' death was planned It's not simply that he was a talented individual cut down in his prime. We see lots of people like that. We can think of lots of examples. Talented individuals who seem to have the world before them and all of a sudden they're cut down in their prime. In fact, I looked at a list of this uh, as I was uh, thinking this through. I found a a whole list of 150 famous people who'd suddenly died young. And Jesus was at number 48 on that list. But he's not just... A talented individual who was suddenly cut down unexpectedly. If only he'd lived, what could he have done? And nor is he just a good man who was overwhelmed by the power of evil. Someone who's tried to stand up against injustice, but but the forces against him were just too strong. No, that's not what's happening either. Jesus' death was planned. And because Jesus' death was planned, Jesus' death was significant. 
If it was planned, it must have served a purpose. And one of the things Jesus is doing on this evening is explaining what that purpose is, that purpose of his death. We've seen that this is... um, the setting of this story is, is the Passover, the Passover feast that the Jews celebrated every year. Verse 2 has already made that connection that, that during the Passover feast, Jesus will um, be arrested and be killed. And that's not just a coincidence. It's not just that it happens to ha- uh, take place during the Passover. Actually, Jesus' death and the Passover are linked together. Jesus' death is fulfilling the Passover. We're not sure of the exact sequence of how the Jews would have celebrated the Passover, but it's thought to be something like this. They, they, they first of all needed to gather in Jerusalem. That was the place where the Passover was celebrated. And uh, each household of kind of 10 to 12 individuals would take a lamb, and they'd take that to the temple where the lamb would be killed, the blood would be collected in bowls and would be poured out um, on the altar. Right, the altar. That's, that's an awful lot of lambs. That's an awful lot of blood being poured out on that day. And then they would have an evening, a meal together that evening, beginning with a thanksgiving, sharing a cup of wine, having a first course of greens and bitter herbs. And then would come the explanation of the Passover. Traditionally, it would be the youngest child who would ask the head of the household, why are we doing these things? And the head of the household would explain that, that God's people had been slaves in Egypt. That God had, in order to set them free, he sent a terrible plague on the Egyptians, a plague on the firstborn son of, um, of all the Egyptians. But the, the Israelites had not been affected by that plague. They had been saved by that death because at God's instruction, they had killed a lamb. Each household had killed a lamb and painted the blood on the doorposts. And that lamb died in place of the firstborn son so that when the, when the angel of death came, he passed over those houses with the blood on the doorposts. And as a result of this terrible plague, God, uh, the, the Egyptians sent the people out of the land. They were released from their slavery. They were sent out to go and uh, take uh, possession of the, the land that God had given them. And so for more than a thousand years, this uh, festival had been celebrated, remembering how God had saved his people through the death uh, of these lambs. So that explanation would be given then uh, Psalms 113, 114 would be sung. There'd be a second course. There'd be the main course, uh, a second cup rather, shared, and then the main course of lamb, and then a third cup of blessing and thanksgiving. Some more Psalms 115 to 118, and then the fourth cup would be shared. Now there are hints at some of that in the passage. Uh, that, 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 so something like that order is probably the background to what's happening uh, in this passage. But there are two big differences between how Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples and how it normally would have been celebrated. The first one is in verse 26. Jesus takes the bread as they're eating, probably unleavened bread, uh, just like the Israelites would have eaten when they were slaves in Egypt. He takes this bread and he breaks it and he uh, distributes it to his disciples. He gives a thanksgiving for it. So far, so Perfectly normal for a Passover. But then he says these incredible words. Verse 26. He says, take, eat. This is my body. This is my body. Can you imagine someone uh, giving a speech on Remembrance Sunday and saying, 
uh, maybe a political leader, and they stand up and they say, I just think this is a, a wonderful opportunity to remember all the sacrifices that I've made for the sake of my country. Well, there'd be outrage, wouldn't it? How can, you, how can you take this day when we're remembering the sacrifice of others and make it all about yourself? And yet, how much more shocking is it that Jesus would take this uh, incredibly significant festival, the most important festival in the Jewish religion, celebrating the most important event in history, when God had saved his people, and he makes it all about himself. This is my body. But Jesus is uh, saying that just as this bread has been broken, so his body will be broken uh, through his death. And just as his disciples eat this bread, so they will benefit from his death. And then he takes the cup, verse 27, and likewise he says, Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. This is a day when, uh, as I said, the, the blood of lambs, lots and lots of blood had been poured out at the altar. And yet Jesus is applying this cup to his blood that is about to be poured out. This, he's, he talks about this as being the blood of the covenant, the agreement. He's saying this is a new covenant, a new agreement between him uh, between God and his people comes up coming about because of his blood because of his death he says it's poured out for many not just for the disciples but for all who will believe and trust in him and it's for the forgiveness of sins that because jesus has has died he's about to die because of his death his blood poured out uh, guilty human beings can be forgiven for all the wrong that they've done if they trust in Jesus. Jesus' death will make it possible. Jesus' death, you see, is bringing about a new Passover, a new rescue for God's people. Not just from slavery to sin, uh, to Egyptians rather, but from slavery to sin. Making this forgiveness of sins possible, not just for those who are uh, by birth Israelites, but ultimately for all who will believe and trust in him. And from now on, the most significant event in history is no longer the Passover. From now on, the most significant event in history is Jesus' death uh, for his people. And Jesus, uh, we're not told in this passage, but in uh, the, the other Gospels, Jesus says to his disciples to do this in remembrance of me. To keep eating this bread and drinking this wine in remembrance of me. Of Jesus, not remembering Passover, but remembering Jesus, remembering his death, not uh, remembering his life, even. There's lots of good, good things to remember about Jesus' life, but what Jesus particularly wants his people to focus on and concentrate on remembering is his death and all that that meant. And that's what we do here at Emmanuel, it's what we're going to be doing. Um, not quite the same way that Jesus did it. Uh, I was looking in the passage for where Jesus says, now please can you remove the top layer and take out the wafer? He doesn't do that. Um, we don't do it quite the same way. But, but we do do it to remember the significance of Jesus' death. That we've been saved, we've been rescued, sins forgiven, we have a new covenant with God. The wafer, the, the, the bread represents that body broken, the grape juice, the wine represents that blood of the covenant 
poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' death was significant. But thirdly, we see that Jesus' death was victorious. Jesus' death was victorious. Many people have uh, achieved great things by their deaths, but the fact of their death remains. They may have achieved something for other people, but they themselves have lost. They've died. But Jesus is triumphant even in death itself. Verse 24 hints at this when he talks to Judas, uh, or about Judas rather. He says, the Son of Man goes out, it's written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Undoubtedly, Jesus said these words compassionately. He would have been sorry that this would have happened to Judas, but they're also words of, of judgment, of confident judgment. That they're showing that Judas is not going to get away with this. Evil is not going to triumph. It would be better for him had he not been born. But we see it more positively in verse 29, where Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is saying a day is coming when he and his disciples and his people will be reunited. A day is coming when the kingdom of God will be fully realized, when all will recognize and none will oppose God's kingdom, God's rule. A day is coming when Jesus will again celebrate this meal with his disciples. And Jesus' death is making this possible. And this is true for us as well, that we too, if we are trusting in Jesus, will share in that day, we too will drink with Jesus um, of this fruit of the vine in his Father's kingdom. And in verse 32, Jesus says, he, he predicts this, this that the, the disciples are going to fall away, but he says, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. The disciples uh, didn't live in Jerusalem. They were there for the Passover, so it would have been natural that after Jesus' death, they would have found their way going back to Galilee. And Jesus gives them this incredible promise that when they get back to Galilee, they will find that he has gone there before them. He will meet them there. And it's an incredible promise because um, it shows that Jesus will be raised. Death is not going to have the victory. Jesus will be, come back to life again and meet them there in Galilee. It's also an incredible promise if you consider the context of it, that the disciples, Jesus is telling the disciples, they're all going to abandon him. They're all going to fall away. But he will be there in Galilee ahead of them, ready to gather his people together again. He's going to gather those who have scattered and fallen away. See, we're not to look on Jesus' death as something that's very sad, but at least good came out of it. No, Jesus' death is victorious. Jesus rose again from the dead. He has won the victory. He has secured our place with God. And even though we let him down, he has gathered us together as his people. And we can look forward to joining him in that kingdom. So as we come in a few minutes to remember Jesus' death for us, we're not recalling a tragedy, an accident. We're remembering God's plan. We're looking back on Jesus' death and all that it has meant for us. The fact that he has secured our forgiveness, that we can know God because he has taken God's punishment against sin. But we're also looking forward. We're looking forward 
to his return. We're looking forward to being with him and drinking uh, this, this cup with him in his kingdom. And every Lord's Supper is a step closer to that day. Every Lord's Supper is one less time we will celebrate the Lord's Supper before he returns. We close with the words of uh, Paul. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for what he has done for us. We thank you for his death on the cross, his body broken for us, his blood poured out as a new covenant between us and you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, for for what Jesus has done for us, for all that means to us. Help us, Father, to appreciate that more, and especially as we remember that shortly. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.